Good morning, my name is Greg Moore. We're reading from Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. be from our lips, but from our lives. And so we pray that individually and corporately, this morning your word would shape us so that our lives may be a hymn of praise to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 275. That's how many days there are until the Major League Baseball wildcard game. I know you don't care, but now you know. Seven days, or six, actually, if you count Saturday, six or seven days until the NFL wildcard game. But today is ECC's wildcard. Not like a playoff game, more like an Uno deck. When you pull the wildcard and you can make it anything you want, this Sunday, Bob said, Preach about anything you want. See, most Sundays are a part of a series, part of a series on a book of the Bible or Advent or Lent series, but not this one. This is the wild card. So I thought about preaching about why the Yankees are the perfect symbol of evil in our world. (laughs) But in my old age, I've gotten slightly more wise, and, and I sat back and thought, How do we bring this year, 2019, to a close? It's been a weird, kind of stressful, nervous year, nationally, globally, and if if I'm honest, personally, too. How do we bring this year to a close? And even more importantly, looking into next year, what do we need to focus on? What do we need to sit with and Fly as a banner over our year. 
And as I sat and thought about that for myself personally, and I think for us as a church, this phrase kept coming to mind. God is on the throne. Or if you like double negatives, God is never not on the throne. God is as sovereign today as he ever was. God's sovereignty, his, his kingship, his rule is an incredibly consistent theme throughout all of Scripture. We'll look a little bit into Psalms and then we'll jump to the New Testament in a while. But it's a tremendously consistent theme. God is king, ruler over all he has made. And that is a tremendous source of comfort for God's people. God's rule, his kingship, gets expressed in at least three different, you could say, realms. First, in scripture, we see God's rule over the natural order, over the things he has created, animate and inanimate. Kids, I, I know you're not in school, and so you weren't expecting a pop quiz, but here's one for you. Pretty easy, I think. Tomorrow, what's going to happen at roughly 8 a.m.? 8.06 to be precise. Here's a clue. It happens every morning. Yeah, the sun is going to rise. Question two on your pop quiz, a little bit more difficult. What happens on March 19th this year? Not daylight saving, maybe, I don't know. Spring. It's the first day of spring. Both of those things and so many more are because God is sovereign and providentially overseeing his creation. When we sing of this care, when we sing songs like, Great is thy faithfulness. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest. Sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join us with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. All of these things and the regular rhythms of creation testify to God's continued rule and reign over his world. So, for example, in Psalm 104, Scripture says that God causes the grass to grow and crops to yield their fruit. Moon marks seasons. The sun knows the time it's to rise because God baked it into his creation and continues to oversee it. And the beasts that go out to hunt, they go out looking for their food from God the psalm says. Psalm 135, God does as he pleases. He sends the clouds when he wants clouds. He sends lightning to accompany the rain, and he says to the wind, blow that way. And it obeys because God is sovereign over his creation. Psalm 147, God sends the snow And he sends the ice. 
And then he sends the warm wind to melt them all because he is sovereign over his creation. In all these psalms, God's kingship over the natural order was meant to give his people assurance, to reassure them that their maker hasn't left things to run on their own. He is still involved and cares for his creation. So the psalmist says in the psalm that we read together, let us kneel before our maker. We are the sheep of his flock. He has created us and he cares for us. And that gives us reassurance in this world. But God's sovereignty doesn't end there. That second realm, God's sovereignty extends over the political order of nations. You know, Israel lived at kind of a crossroads in the ancient world. If you were playing tic-tac-toe, Israel was in some ways the centerpiece of the tic-tac-toe board. You wanted the centerpiece, not because it's all that important in and of itself, but it's the crossroads. Maybe Monopoly is a better illustration. It's boardwalk or park place. Most of the ancient empires went through Israel. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. Men that we read about in our history books led their armies through Israel. Xerxes, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar. Israel lived at the crossroads of these great empires that were constantly rising and falling, filled with tumult in the region. And they were assured God was in control. That gave them comfort. Sometimes it raised some pretty weird questions, like, God, what are you doing allowing those people to trample through here? But it was ultimately a source of comfort to them, knowing that God was in control even of empires. So the psalmist writes in Psalm 115, where is God? He is in heaven, and he does as he pleases. Psalm 9, he is enthroned in heaven and judges the world. Psalm 96, the Lord reigns. He will judge the world with equity. Psalm 22, kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. Or you could go outside of Psalms and go into Job, Job 12. The Lord is the one who makes nations great or brings them down, exalts them or humbles them and destroys them. Israel's history is filled with these kind of examples. One of my favorites is the story of King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a Babylonian king who had conquered Judah and taken Jerusalem into captivity. And Israel might have been tempted to think God wasn't in control anymore. But God showed his control even over King Nebuchadnezzar. 
and he humbled him, made him think he was a cow for seven years and go out and live in isolation with the other beasts in the field, eating grass. God did that to show I'm sovereign even over this pagan nation who you think is your enemy, but I'm using them for my purpose. I'm king even over these kings. I'm king of kings. The third sphere, and I guess from my perspective, the most comforting sphere of God's reign, his rule, is over his people. It's over his people. Here is where God lays his authoritative claim on his people. He says, I own the whole world, but you, you're my treasured possession. And as your king, I give you salvation. And so for his people, he led them out of Egypt, delivered them from their enemies of slavery and bondage, And of the armies of Pharaoh, delivered them across the Red Sea. He gave them salvation. And then he brought them to Sinai, a mount where he gave them the law. And gave them guidance as my people. This is how you're to live. And follow me. God continues to reign over all of these spheres. It wasn't true just in the Old Testament. God is as sovereign today in all of those spheres as he was when David or Asaph or another psalmist penned the words that we read. So John sees his vision, Revelation chapter 1, of a throne. And God on the throne and ministering spirits around the throne And Jesus is the one who rules over the kings of the earth. And God the Father has dominion forever. And he is still God Almighty. King of all. He's still sovereign over the natural order of things. I've had two sons so far go through physics. And I love helping with their, well... Love is maybe a little bit strong. I slightly enjoy helping with their physics projects, whether they're the the Rube Goldberg, you know, machines with dominoes and weird things or catapults that they use to launch things. To be honest, it's slightly frustrating. So I went from love to slightly enjoy to frustrating um, in the course of 30 seconds. Um, I, I enjoy it, but... Sometimes I think, how can kids that are so smart not know how to handle a handsaw? Um, Beyond my imagination. It's painful to watch you. As frustrating as it can be, imagine how frustrating it would be if the laws of physics didn't always work. If the constant of gravity kind of, you know, changed every once in a while. It'd be impossible, impossible to do science apart from God's ordering of the world and continued providential care of his world. Math wouldn't work. 
philosophy and logic wouldn't work. Apart from a reasonable, rational God who established a rational creation. God is still sovereign and thank goodness he is still sovereign over the natural order. We respond to this with gratitude and trust. Pre-modern people lived in a world that they understood was very much out of their control. A farmer in, say, 1520 understood that the world that they farmed in and lived in was outside of their control. We exercise, 500 years later, much more control over our world, right? If it doesn't rain, well, we irrigate our crops. If it gets really hot, we go into our air-conditioned homes. If it's really cold, well, we have heat for that. We exercise more control over our world, and you'd think, oh, shoo, we have less to worry about. Is that actually how we experience it, though? I think as we've exercised more and more control over our world, we've fooled ourselves into thinking everything is in our control, and we're more and more anxious, trying to control everything. But in reality, it's only a feigned sovereignty that we exercise over the natural world. God is still the ultimate sovereign. We are like the kid in the, remember this commercial, the Volkswagen commercial from a couple years ago? A kid walking around in a Darth Vader outfit, costume, and he's trying to use the force on everything and nothing's working, and then he goes to his dad's Volkswagen and he tries to use the force and the dad from behind him starts the car with his remote and the kid thinks, I'm in control. I'm using the force. It's a feigned control, a false sense of sovereignty. We are as dependent on God's providential care as that farmer in the 1500s ever was. God is still in control of the natural order, and that is a good thing. And he is still sovereign over the nations. He's in control of the restless turbulence of nations. So much in the global order seems so unstable, doesn't it? God's kingdom, his reign, his kingship is perfectly stable. His plan isn't faltering. His will is being established. His kingdom is not in disarray. He is still king over the nations. No nation is eternal. No nation is ultimate. 
the U.S. has been a nation for 200 plus years. I hope and pray that we continue to enjoy liberty, prosperity, justice, relative peace for another 200 plus years. That would be fantastic. But the U.S. is not eternal. And the U.S. is not ultimate. Only God's kingdom is eternal. Only God's kingdom is ultimate. It is only to the church that he has said, the gates of hell will not prevail. Not to Rome, not to the Holy Roman Empire, not even to Israel, certainly not to the United States, only to his church has he said, the gates of hell will not prevail. Point out the obvious here. Here at ECC, there isn't a flag on stage. That's not just because they've been displaced by Christmas trees. There never is. That's not because Bob or me or the staff or elders are unpatriotic. We are. But it's a recognition that in the church, the cross, that's the banner that is ultimate. Here in the church, we have the incredible privilege of worshiping side by side with brothers and sisters who come from around the world, from places like Iran, Venezuela, China, Russia, Mexico, Germany, Paraguay, and you could just go down the list. It is phenomenal. Now in the international political scheme of things, some of those nations are our allies, some are our adversaries, and in the church, the body of Christ, it doesn't matter one iota because the banner of Christ is what's ultimate. His kingdom is eternal. In his kingdom, we serve the eternal king. I think maybe my whole sermon has been leading to this point. Because that truth is so incredibly important for us to latch on to to hold on to in this upcoming year. In this, what will be a contentious election cycle. Right? In the church, nation of origin does not matter. Nor does political party. Democrat, Republican, Green Party, Tea Party, Communist, Libertarian, we all are under the banner of Christ. That unifies. That brings us together as the one eternal kingdom, an ultimate kingdom. God is sovereign over all the nations, including our own, United States. And he's still sovereign over us, his people, the church. Still there 
giving salvation to those who would embrace his son. Delivering us from our enemies of sin and death, shame and guilt. Having broken their power once for all on the cross and continuing to bring that salvation to our lives day in and day out. And he still gives us law, commands to live by. As the people of God, he says, this is how you are to reflect the kingdom that you live in. There's tremendous freedom in submission to that. Freedom in saying, I am not on the throne of my life. I follow the one who is my king and how he commands me to live. God is sovereign. As you head into 2020, here's a word I know is true. God is on the throne. He, he, he's not up and pacing because he's anxious. He's not worried. He's not fretting. He hasn't handed over the throne to emperors, czars, presidents, prime ministers. He hasn't given it to me. He is still on the throne exercising his kingship in every sphere of our lives. What was meant to be an encouragement to God's people centuries ago is still a source of comfort and encouragement today. As we step out into 2020, remember, God is on his throne. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful. Grateful that Frankly, it does not all depend on us. We are not in control. That's a good thing. Because our hearts are sinful. And every man who has ever led, their hearts are sinful. But you are a good God. You are a good king. Almighty and merciful. Just and forgiving. Father, we pray that we would find freedom and submission to you as our king. We pray that we would follow well and lead others into following you well as well. In Jesus' precious name, amen.